Hi, Emily. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Got to so keep you on your toes. Rude. I know. It's, it's all I know. Yeah, yeah we're going to do a whole thing. We are. It's episode 46. Oh. This is the uh-oh feeling. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm Taylor. I'm Emily. <laughs> I frighten easily. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first thing you know about Emily in this podcast. <laughs> Second thing, I watch documentaries. That's true. Yeah, there's one about mine that I was going to watch and then I ran out of time today because today was weird. Yeah. Um, Thanks, Wisconsin. Yeah. Hey, um, for those who, of you who are not in Wisconsin, but you are probably in another part of the country that has been ravaged by weather in the last two days, we're recording this on the Thursday before it's releasing and the weather is insane. Like, you said the sky was black when you got into work? Yeah. It has been hailing and sleeting and, and snowing and raining. And thundering, and the wind is, like, shaking windows and, and making the weird creepy howling noises. Oh, it's so creepy. And on Monday, it was 75 degrees. Yes. So, um, shit's weird. It's fine. We definitely had a bit of a false spring there. Global warming isn't real. Yeah, no, we're definitely not all going to die in 30 years. <clears throat> well, like, someone was saying the apocalypse was coming. Not no. Yeah. Goodbye, everyone. Yeah. I hope we can release this podcast on Monday if the world isn't on fire. We'll see. I think they've opened, you know, five of seven seals. Yeah. We just have to wait a little it's longer. It's fine. It's fine. So. Oh, first, should before we get into oh, that, shit. we have bad alcohol again because of last time. <laughs> it's leftover bad it's alcohol. Le it's the worst kind of bad alcohol. <laughs> it's leftover. Oh. Which one do you want? You can pick. I'll do the red Berry, I guess. Go for it. We have a new Amsterdam red berry, so it's already bad vodka, and then they put a flavor in it, and they won't even tell you exactly what flavor. It's just a red berry. Take your pick. And I have, Jesus, <laughs> Dr. McGillicuddy's coffee flavor. <laughs> I'm so afraid. So are we going to do like oh. half, half seas now? <laughs> oh, I haven't even opened mine yet. I just want to smell that one. I just know it's going to be like syrupy. And yeah. like, <laughs> it, it smells like coffee a liqueur, sort of. But like, I just know it's not going to taste. <laughs> it's smell the red berry. All right, let's do, a, let's do halvesies. Oh, God. We'll do our best to guess what that is. <gasps> okay. Oh, no. Dr. McGillicuddy's. Oh, it was... It tastes like cough syrup. Oh God, yeah, that is what that shit always ends up tasting like. Ugh. Oh, and yeah, this is like it was very syrupy and very sweet and a little bit chocolatey, but like <laughs> not in a good way, if you can imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now we've got now we've got that to look forward to in later parts of the show. We've also got beer, so like we went a little easy on ourselves this time. So well, I'll just fuck us up next time. It's fine. Oh, God. We have to get to Malort sometime. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I still think episode 50. Write us if you want us on episode 50 to drink some Malort. <laughs> okay. Go ahead with your story now that we've done that horrible thing. So, I'm going to talk about the hoodoo sea, the limbo of the lost, the splashy, crashy zone, <laughs> the not fjord. Also known as the Devil's Triangle. Oh. Also known as the Bermuda Triangle. Ooh, 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 ooh. Oh my god, that's awesome. I only made up two of those. <laughs> um, one of them was the Splashy Zone, wasn't it? <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> splashy Crashy Zone? The splashy Crashy Zone. You made that up, right? Wow. <laughs> I mean, I just felt it. It felt like you. <laughs> what I was mean, the other I one? The Hoodoo Sea. I included that because it's like, who do you do the power of? Oh my god! We... The power of who do? Oh, do I'm shutting the podcast down. Uh, this is it's over. <laughs> Forty six episodes, and you finally made a joke I can't stand enough that I have to shut the whole thing down. All because of the power of voodoo. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not giving in. You don't want a little garish in your life. <laughs> I mean, who does like that? Look, okay. So the cock on that guy. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Walt Wyatt. Yes, please. In 1986, maybe. Oh, sure. 
It was 25 years ago from an article written in 2011, and they didn't give me a date. So we did some math. So we did some math. I forgot 1988 existed for a second. Yep. Just for a second. So, so somewhere it's been a long in day. 1986, we think. Yes. He survived crashing his plane at sea. Nice. It was a Beechcraft Baron, and he crashed it into the ocean just west of the Bermuda Triangle. Oh, fuck. Now, Walt is an Air Force veteran and had set off in his twin-engine plane from Nassau, which is in the Bahamas, and it's very beautiful, to Miami, which typically was about a 65-minute flight. Sure. And he decided to do this without any of his flight instruments because they'd all been stolen the night before. Oh, my God. Someone (laughs) broke into his plane and stole all his navigational instruments. Oh, no. But, I mean, at this... It's not a long trip. No. 65 minutes. Yeah. And he's done it a ton of times before. So he got assurances from the weather forecaster in Nassau and was like, all right, I have a compass. I have a handheld radio. Let's do this. What an intrepid motherfucker. Well. Uh Uh-oh. A quote. I didn't realize it until I was into the flight a considerable distance that my compass was broken. Oh, No. Someone had tried to take it and had broken it, so I was getting bad headings. Holy shit. So, before long, bad weather, as it is ought to do on the ocean, just kind of showed up. Uh, great. So, he has bad weather, and he's flying blind. Yeah, oh my god, dude. The Coast Guard had been told by another plane that Wyatt was in trouble. Oh, that's nice. They, were, they intercepted him, and they were leading him to Miami. When dun, dun, dun. Yeah. his plane ran out of fuel. Oh no, Jesus, dude! Maybe like check one thing on your plane only, before you leave. Like he only got enough for his hour-long tour. So he was like, he he was expecting it to be a certain amount of time, and because he was so far off, he had to fly back. Yeah, and was already okay. It was already really off course. That makes sense. Maybe check on your compass is all I'm saying. I know. Maybe make sure it points where it's supposed so, to point. He begins to descend. Mm-hmm. He says, I opened the door so that when the airplane hit, the door would swing open. A lot of times an airplane will wrench and it'll trap the door shut and you can't get out. So always open the door before you crash. Hey, that is a good survival tip. Yeah. If, uh, you're... if you're ever in a plane crash, open the door. Um, and I mean, you know, probably not one of those commercial flights. No, cause... maybe not a commercial flight because like they need those to keep the cabin yeah. pressurized. I but... think they will open the door if it needs to be opened. <laughs> yeah. They have training. But if you're in a small like two engine plane and you're flying low enough that you don't need to worry about altitude. Right. Then we're good. Things. <laughs> think about opening the door. Be like quiet. Yeah. So the plane hit the ocean and typically if anything is falling at like terminal velocity when it hits the ocean it's like hitting concrete. So I mean it wasn't pretty. Mm. He, he bounced his head off of the dashboard. Oh, ouchies, buddy, yep. no! <laughs> and left him with a gash. Woof. Even it, when you're bracing, I'm, I'm sure yeah, just like that just impact boing. is too much. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's not like plane cabins are super soft everywhere. No, oh God. <laughs> they are not made out of pillows. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is my Pillow 500 dashboard. <laughs> <laughs> the seat is marshmallows. <laughs> <laughs> so he hit his head, but he was still conscious. He had his life vest in one hand. Woof. And then he just stepped out onto the wing of the plane. And within a matter of seconds, the ship was... Or the ship. (laughs) The plane was sinking and he was in the ocean. Dag. It seems like he's really kept his cool overall throughout all of this. And he was really rational about it. Yeah. He said in an interview that experience told him if he wasn't found within an hour... The probability of him being found at all would drop significantly. That's fair. Because, like, nobody even... Yeah. If you're found within the hour, people knew at least a little bit where to look for you. Yeah. Plus, his plane's going down. There's no, like, marker with that. His plane is gone. Ugh. Not going down. It's gone. It got sucked down to the bottom Ugh. of the ocean. No one ever talks about, like, because they're trying to survive, like, that's the main thing. But also losing your plane that you yeah. probably bought with your fucking money yeah. after having all the shit robbed out of it the night before... Must that's, have been really shitty. That's why you have insurance. I mean, that's true. Yeah. I don't know if insurance would cover this, because he did choose to fly without any of his navigational mm, instruments. True, he'd probably have to talk to them a bunch. But it was also the 80s. 
Who knows? So I don't know. And he was a white male. He could male. have just lied about it. Yeah. He's a white male. I don't know. He probably <laughs> got away with it. He can get away with some so, shit. One problem. Mm-hmm. So he was following a Coast Guard plane before he dropped. Right. But because they were trying to fly through a storm, the waters were really rough. Oh, no. And they couldn't see him. So, so they didn't see him drop. They didn't see him. He just oh, disappeared. Fuck. So he gets left in the water. They stop searching. They can't see him. Oh, the waters no. are too choppy. So within an hour of getting into the water, the little blow tubes and his little life vest come out. So his life vest deflates. What? It's like God is killing this man with or his own hand. the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> well, you could just say the Bermuda Triangle is... Is an angry toddler demon it's satan's area yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he yeah he gave he gave it to one of his shittier demons he didn't want to deal <laughs> like, with hey, have fun yeah go have this like hundred mile area yeah. where you can just fuck with shit i like triangles okay you do you, you buddy do you. just please leave <laughs> <laughs> so he improvised because he knew he needed a flotation device because yeah. technically in the ocean because it's salt water your body's going to be more buoyant, so you can float. But the waves but if and you, stuff. If, yeah, if you get caught in a wave and you go under and you get caught in like a rip current, you're done. Yeah, you're done. That's so legit. So he took the vest off and he put it underneath himself and he plugged the holes with his fingers. Oh my God. So it would stay inflated. I'm just picturing him with like all yeah, fingers like, shoved in shoved places. Shoved in there. Oh, buddy. And... <laughs> Then the nighttime came, Uh, and the water around him started lighting up. What? Because apparently in the Bermuda Triangle, there is phosphorus in the water. So it's, do you see the pictures of people like running their hand through like glow-in-the-dark water? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that lit up around him. That's crazy. Which like is cool, but also... Fuck. <laughs> Probably unnerving. Yeah. yeah. And it was still raining. And then he began to hear the sound of barking dogs. What? Quote, I wasn't hallucinating, but a lot of mariners at sea said they could hear dogs barking. I thought I heard dogs barking, so I decided to swim towards the noise. It's like a common thing. Wow. There's certain parts of the Bermuda Triangle where you can swear you hear dogs barking. I wonder if it's not like a something about how sound waves bounce off different areas. You could be hearing dogs from yeah. like hundreds of miles away. I don't know. And there's, there's just one guy that's got a bunch <laughs> of rowdy dogs off the coast. Like, he's on his own island. Yeah, he doesn't realize he's creating this like huge phenomenon. In the morning. He's like, shut the fuck up, Rufus. <laughs> you would think you could also hear that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I heard a bunch of dogs and then I heard an angry man scream, shut the fuck up, Rufus. <laughs> Confusing. I thought my name's not Rufus, so <laughs> I'm not barking. <laughs> You're right. I guess I better head toward that. Yeah. So he's got the phosphorus water. You can hear dogs barking. It's very romantic. Is it? Emily so is decides it? <laughs> to give him a kiss. No, shut the fuck up. What the fuck is happening? He's soon attacked by sea leeches. That's a thing. Literal leeches in the ocean, I guess. I didn't know they were in the ocean. I, I didn't I know that was... I thought they were a... only in, like, rivers and yeah, fresh water. really fucked up ponds that yeah. don't have, like, good filtration. Yeah. Like the... We had, or, like, the slough at the Girl Scout camp that we take the kids canoeing in, and if we have to jump out to push the canoe... You're pulling... Odds are we're gonna get a leech on our leg. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I... Uh, there was a pond outside the apartment complex that I used to live at, and we went in there just to, like, catch fish with our hands because they would put fish on there in there on purpose. We came out. I had, like, four leeches on each leg. It was fucking nasty. Yeah. Ugh. So there are sea leeches. No. What the fuck? Seeches. Seeches, if you will. Absolutely. He's hearing weird shit. He's surrounded by glowing water. He's getting bit up. By seeches. I'd be going insane. I'd be like, none of this can be real. Like, I must be. Yeah. So he decided not to sleep that night. How <laughs> even would you? He wouldn't. If you relax your rough fingers, waters. you drown. Yeah. Like... And he's in rough waters already. Yeah. So he thinks to himself, I started to resign myself to the fact that I might die. 
Just now, huh? Cool. You start thinking about the people you're leaving behind and what they're going to think about it. And you find out that you're a fragile human being and that things like this do happen. And then I prayed. Oh, yeah. I, I'm sure you just you look out and you feel real fucking small. Yep. The ocean is everywhere around you. And yep. yeah, you could totally just be swallowed up like you're nothing any second. Mm-hmm. Be Crazy. literal fish food. Yeah. So with this thought, he took his ID card out of his pocket and put it in the life vest so that if it was found, at least they'd know who it belonged to. Smart, And yeah. his family could get some closure. Yeah. Well, dawn breaks. Ah, he survives the night. He survives the night. So proud of you, bud. He's having some issues. Because the water has been so choppy. His eyes are now almost swollen shut. Oh, and the article I read, it's like, it's because it's saltwater-ridden eyes, which is not true. Saltwater technically is not bad for your eyes. That's sure. literally saline solution is salt right. and water. With the skin around your eyes? But everything else in the water mm. isn't good for your eyes. Yeah, that's so fair. it could have been an infection from something that is in the water that shouldn't have been there. Yeah. Um, they didn't get into the specifics of, like, if he had, like, if he has like a membrane growing over his eyes and it's a pterygium, which is also called surfer's eye, just hey. real fucked up. Gross. Yeah. I can also imagine like just the waves are kind of just like getting lightly slapped in the face all yeah. night. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. So his eyes were swollen mm-hmm. and there's a knock at his leg. No, no, this is, this is <laughs> creepy. Why is this happening? Knock, knock. Who's who's there? A shark! Fuck no! I was wondering if sharks would come into this, you motherfucker. Yes. He's bleeding? He's bleeding. Because of the leeches? Oh, his head wound, that's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. He's been bleeding all night. Wow, I can't believe the sharks didn't come for him earlier. The waters have been too choppy. Wow. Because he's right in the waves. Oh, God. So he got a little bump on the leg, and then he looked around. It's like, what the fuck? Just fair for real, and there were a couple sharks just swimming around him. Yeah, he <sighs> says I was lucky the water was rough. If the water had been calm, they would have honed right in. So they just didn't go for him. I mean, no. like because they're just they're, just, they're lazy. <laughs> they're yeah. I mean, they're like I don't. Oh. It's just like I don't know what it is. The water is like all gross. It doesn't and, look like, like a seal. Yeah, I can't tell what's going on. <laughs> Are there even seals in the Caribbean? <laughs> Thank God for lazy sharks. Yeah. yeah, what the fuck are they eating out there? Lazy shark. Do, 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 do. Lazy I, shark. Do, I didn't do, give do. you permission to do this. <laughs> lazy shark. Do, no! Do. <laughs> so, 8.45 a.m., approximately, he hears a Coast Guard plane flying overhead. So he takes his bright orange light vest out from under him and begins, like, just swinging it in the air. Whoa. Trying to get their attention. The plane kind of keeps flying back and forth. He thinks they don't see him. They did. They dropped a flare by him. He couldn't see it. So they saw him. They knew he was there. Oh, shit. And then the pilot of the helicopter or the plane radioed the Cape York, which was 12 minutes away, and was like, hey, get the fuck over there. <laughs> Because they could also see the sharks. Oh, God. Because the amazing thing about the Caribbean is the water is beautifully clear. Sure. No matter how choppy. Right. It's still pretty clear. Mm-hmm. And seeing a couple very large shapes yeah. circling. <laughs> right. Like they can see the you shadows. Know what's up. Yeah, fair. So the exact message that was radioed to the Cape York was get moving, Cutter. There's a shark targeting this guy. Oh, my God. So, Cape York pulls alongside, drops a Jacob's Ladder over the side of the ship. Nice. And he manages to climb. Oh, man. Because, I mean, it's like the only thing he can fucking do. Right. So, he manages to climb up onto the ship. And he fell to his knees and kissed the deck. Oh, yeah, dude. God, he thought he was going to die. Like. Yeah. So, there was an article that I looked at. And because he mentioned that he would prayed a religious 
website got a hold of it and they're like, and this is, and he was saved by God. And da, 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 da. This is the power of prayer. Yeah. I'm like, this is not why we're here. Right. Calm the fuck down. Give him some credit. Yes. Give him some credit. Give the people some credit. Like. This is not part of just God's plan. I mean, look. Guys. The shark didn't eat him right away. Maybe that's part of it. But like, otherwise, like, okay. About that. We're like the Sims with free will turned on. Right. (laughs) Sometimes God still has to tell us to go to the bathroom when we forget. But like, if we want to crash our plane into the Bermuda Triangle. Like, we can. We We can can do that, technically. (laughs) Whatever happens, happens. Right. So, it's not the end. Oh, no. So, his plane crashed. Oh, I'm sorry. It was December of 1986. So, the extrapolated math was correct. Yay. Good for us. So, nearly 25 years later, he received a phone call about his plane. Researchers from the Global Reef Expedition, which was a project of Khalid bin Sultan, Living Oceans Foundation, discovered his plane in April during an expedition to study and preserve coral reefs around the world. Oh, shit. So after months of research into, like, his accident and what happened and other places, they discovered that the plane was acting as a reef. It was a makeshift reef. Like things grew over mm-hmm. it? And like it was a place where people were, or people, <laughs> fish were hatching babies. Oh. And like little seagrass was growing. So like it became a habitat. Yeah. A self-functioning habitat. That's cool. And then the fish only had to travel short distances to fertilize the areas rather than going to another reef farther away. Wow. So... Even though his plane crashed, it became a makeshift reef. That's pretty cool. And these are some of the pictures of his plane from the expedition. Ooh, wow. And see that water is really fucking clear. Yeah, it is. Oh, my God. I like, can't believe it's easy to see like that. Yeah. It's like, it's wow. super, yeah, it's freaking. Will you post some of those? It's beautiful. Yeah. Awesome. And this was from higher up, and you can just see how clear you can see the bottom. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. His name is Wyatt, correct? Yeah. Good for him. Walt Wyatt. Walt Wyatt. His last name is Wyatt. I love that. Wow. Good for him. Yeah. So, I mean, his plane crashed, but he made a tiny ecosystem. Yeah. I mean, you know, all's well that ends well, right? And thankfully, it was out of fuel. I mean, yeah. I guess that so would have he... been really bad for the environment yeah. in the water if it had, like, they had punctured the gas tank and... Yeah. That's I mean, there's other good. shit in the plane that probably wasn't good, but it's been 25 years. and Right. Life finds a way, I yeah. think um, Jeff Goldblum said once. Oh, I'm sorry. That was life uh, yeah. finds a way. <laughs> All right. We're taking the rest of this very terrible booze, and then we're going to hear a story. Does it involve planes? Uh, no, but it does, does it involve, involve a... trains. No. Automobiles? No. Throwing grandmother from a train? No. <laughs> it involves a mountain, which you know is my shit. Yes. So. Very true. Dink it. Thank Didn't you. dink well. They're both plastic. I know. It's bullshit. Oh, God. Uh, it's just. It's so bad. It's just that it's really bad is what it is. It hurts the side of my tongue. Oh, that's unfortunate. Like, not my whole tongue. <laughs> Just the one part. Oh, my God. Yeah. <coughs> Let's fucking do this. I am going to tell you the story of Joe Simpson and Simon Yates. Guess what? Chicken butt. That, but also, I'm going to begin with a quote. you didn't do it this time so i didn't because mine wasn't super bad no and mine isn't super bad either but i liked this quote simon is condemned always to be the man who cut the rope i by the same token am the guy who fell off a mountain and crawled home but there's a lot worse things to be famous for (laughs) that is a quote from joe simpson 
Condemned. That's a strong word. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Okay. So, a little bit of an intro. Uh, the Ciula Grande is a big old fucking mountain. It's just a big boy. Um, you know I love a mountain story. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, look. This is also in the Peruvian Andes. I've been like, we've been in like the Chilean area. Yeah. The Guatemalan area. This is Peru. So. You um, like South American mountains. Yes. Um, The Ciula Grande is 20,814 feet tall. It's very tall. Yeah, it's a big fucker. (laughs) Um, So the first ever ascent of the Ciula Grande was in 1936. People weren't touching this shit beforehand, apparently. Yeah, it's a big boy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, They took a, a route, these people, along its northern ridge, which is pretty much the way that all climbers and mountaineers took with some variations for several decades afterwards. But that changed in 1985 when two young mountaineers decided to scale the west face of the mountain to its peak. First mistake. Yeah. So this is a picture of the west face of the... Yes, this is the west face. Oh, that does not look climbable. No, it's um, crazy. That does not look climbable at all. Why would someone do that? It's like... It's like 70 degrees of an incline, and it just looks insane. Like, it's all craggy and snowy and nuts. And I think there's a reason why people for decades were like, not that side. Um, I, obviously, we are people. Many people on this earth are someone who would be like, that's cool. Mountains are cool. They're a very large thing on this earth that has nothing to do with me and that I will never touch. And that's fine. Some people look at a mountain and go, like, I'm going to make it my bitch. Sure. Yeah. And and this is probably how Joe Simpson and Simon Yates felt when they decided to become the first people ever to scale the western side of the Ciula Grande. Yeah, I feel like that's what happened with Everest. Oh, yeah. The first time anybody saw that, like, oh, you mean you mean that could kill me? Oh, I'm going to make it my bitch. Cool. Mm-hmm. And then it's their boots that are now a trail marker. Yeah, right. Anyways. I mean, some of those people totally lived. Yeah. Just not... Not all of them. Not all of them. <laughs> Definitely not all of them. <laughs> so, this was neither of their first ascent up a mountain. They were I climbers. I hope not. No. They were climbers. They were mountaineers. They'd been doing it since college. They'd been interested in it for far longer. They are... That, that's their lifestyle. And that is really a lifestyle. You know oh. those people. Yeah. No. It's... They have conversations. I have two of them at work. They have conversations about a specific boot oh, for God. 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, it's their it's, life. It's their life. They're huge thrill seekers, and like they can't imagine their lives without this hugely dangerous thing they need to do. Mm-hmm. Joe Simpson himself said when like he was like 14, he read a book that really got him into it. And when he was young, he was like, I want to climb the world. Like, I want to climb every peak there is to climb, which I was like, that's hilarious. But... <laughs> I want to climb the world. I want to climb the world, mommy. You do that every day by walking. Congratulations. You're on top of it already. Well done. (laughs) Or you're on the side. You know, it's fine. Rotations are weird. Look. (laughs) Unless it's flat, then yes, you're on top. Yeah. So, again, not their first go around. But they were both super young to be doing this, in my opinion. Joe was 25. Simon was 21. So, okay. So a lot of the climbers... Alright, so I watched a documentary one <laughs> Shut the what fuck up. What a fucking Shut shock. The fuck up <laughs> about Everest. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people that try and climb Everest are usually in their like late thirties to forties. Sure. They've had They're just experienced. So much experience. Mm-hmm. There's something to be said for having a young body, but also like knowing how to handle certain situations. Knowing what your and, limits are. Yeah. yeah. There's so I mean like props to them I guess I mean we'll see right uh-huh. the this New Yorker article just one more thing about where they were going this New Yorker article I read had a great line in it and it's the west face of Ciula Grande had never been scaled before largely because it was not strictly speaking a mountain it was <laughs> as any chef de patisserie uh, could have told them twenty one thousand feet of frozen pavlova. <laughs> If, if anyone's ever seen a pavlova, oh my God. it's a very delicate dessert. <laughs> it could crumble upon the slightest wrong, like, doing. So, yes. this is, they were like, uh, don't, maybe. Hey, guys, don't. Yeah. Hey, hey. 
Do you want some light before the dark? Um, I feel like it's just teasing. I mean, you're going to have it anyway. Okay, cool, because I don't think I have a choice. No, you don't. No. They made it. They made it to the fucking peak. It took them 31 days, but they ascended to the peak of the Ciula Grande in late May, I think. Late May, early June of 1985. Now, all that was left was to get back down to base camp. So let's talk about that. Okay, so they made it up. Yes. And they then did what, it. they got cocky? Well. Because they're young. Well, here's the thing. Actually, 80% of all climbing accident, accidents occur on the descent. Uh-huh. Like. Yeah. So. Because you just spent all of your shit focusing to climb up. up. Well, like getting down, I mean, you're, there's gravity there too. And yeah. like, and one slip up. Can really you get fuck down you really over. fast. Yeah, get down real, real fast, but sometimes not in a way you want. No. <laughs> so I didn't know that little factoid, but now I do. It makes that, sense. Yeah, it you're super more does. focused on the way up, and you're more careful of where you're putting things. Mm-hmm. But on the way down, it's like, oh, you know what? Fuck it. I've already done this once. Right, and you're just I'm like not paying as much attention. You're feeling the relief, and also yeah. you're up higher, so you've had the lack of oxygen for longer. You spend a you're lot more of energy tired. getting up. Yeah. Like you've already been at this for a certain number of days. Yeah, there's any number of reasons why yeah. this is a thing. Yeah. Um, so Joe and Simon are descending down the west face when Joe falls. Uh-oh. I couldn't find how far he fell. I don't think he even knew. But it was far enough to send his femur down through his knee bones and shatter the bones in his lower leg. So like imagine like the impact of something you hit on your feet so hard that your femur bone plunges down into the rest of your bones and shatters them. Really not good. No. Really, really bad break. Especially because there's a lot of really big veins in your legs. Oh, God, yeah. By your femur. Yeah, well, at least his, his femur, it seems like, is not the part that broke because it's such a big bone. Because if it bone. just went straight down, mm-hmm. like, at least there's that, that he didn't, like, split an artery. Right. Which... He wouldn't be a survivor. Oh, he would. He would exactly. He would have been out. fucking done. Yeah. But that's so, a big ouchie. Yeah. Oh my god. That's terrible. A big ouchie. And they're still pretty fucking far up. Oh. Um. So this is probably just jello. Yeah. And like, I mean, there's nothing left. Absolutely. And for like a lot of people on the side of a mountain, that's a fatal injury. You're done. Yeah. Like you can't get down. Well, I mean, you cut your leg off. <sighs> But also, then you're like dealing like, with the blood there. Then you're dealing there. with the main artery. <laughs> yeah, like it's a it's a problem. That is on, honestly something that happens, and it is a fatal mistake. So, like, how are you able to climb down? You got a friend. Exactly. <laughs> Good thing that his buddy Simon did not give up on him. Huh. So Simon gave Jones a couple of um, paracetamol. I'm guessing okay. it's just a pain reliever. Um, well, and yeah. he, he tied Joe up to a 300 foot rope. They didn't have necessarily like any sort of um, like toboggan or sled or anything to put him on, but he's just got him wrapped around a rope that is 300 feet long. First of all, that's crazy. It's a lot of rope to be carrying. so much rope. Holy shit. I have a hard time just picturing like 50 feet of rope for like our D&D campaigns. I know, right? (laughs) It's like 300 feet feet of rope. rope. Like it's so heavy too. And you're just lugging it around, but it's useful. But it's necessary. Yeah. So... Simon would do this. He would tie his friend up. Then he would dig himself out a little bucket seat in the snow so that he could sit and plant himself really firmly in the snow. And then he would lower Joe down 300 feet at a time. And then when Joe was as far as the rope would go, he would climb down to where Joe was and then do it again. Over and over and over for like nine hours just trying to get this guy down the mountain. And this entire time, Joe is in huge amounts of pain. Yeah. It's incredibly cold. He needs emergency surgery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. Because there's lots of tiny, itty bitty little veins in your leg. Oh, God, it's awful. And, like, your nerves and, like, your... I'm, like... How do you reconstruct those bones you, and... Oh, like, multiple surgeries. Oh, my God, so multiple many surgeries. surgeries. Yeah. Or you just amputate because there's nothing you can do. Right. Which is what I'm waiting for you to say happens. <laughs> I'll fucking tell you. Uh-huh. We'll see. Uh-huh. So, it's nine hours later. 
this entire time they've been dealing with winds and blowing snow as usual. Yeah. Right. Like nothing too crazy. Fucking mountain. Yeah. But at this point, nine hours in a blizzard blows in. Of course. It creates near whiteout conditions. The wind that it howls so loud. You can't hear each other. Um, and you can barely see anything at all. So Simon barely able to see unknowingly lowers Joe off the side of a ledge. (laughs) your face (laughs) i really shouldn't laugh like i really it's very serious yeah it sucks but like it's it's sort of like man of course (laughs) it's like wow yeah dude all the times to have a ledge just pop up Uh uh-huh i mean you'd think on a mountain that's full of ledges right you'd be paying (laughs) attention a little bit but like Part of it is, described by Joe, he could feel himself sort of heading faster downward than he wanted, so it was more of a slipping problem than anything, and he, like, gets his pickaxe out and is, like, trying to hit any part of the snow, but the snow isn't catching on anything. It's a pavlova. (laughs) Yes. Like, there is nothing. There is nothing. It's just snow. And so he just, he's going really fast, and suddenly he just feels the ground not be under him anymore. And he like he feel he felt like he hovered there like is, fucking Wiley Coyote. This is the guy with a broken leg already. Yes, he felt like he hovered there like Wiley Coyote for like a couple seconds and then just pfft, down because and he realized he was like I'm over a cliff now. Cool, super fine, everything's chill. It wasn't um, such a terrible. Uh, fall that he hurt himself further obviously it's it probably still hurt like a bitch i mean he already has a super broken leg yeah i mean he's 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 in a lot of pain but so he's just sort of dangling over the side of this ledge the rope is taut and simon still has it and the only thing that is keeping joe from falling off the cliff is the fact that simon is holding the rope it's really bad (laughs) so joe is dangling off the side of the cliff for an hour Simon is 150 feet away from him. So he he knows because of how taut the rope is that like Joe isn't in a good spot. Yeah. But also can't see or hear him. Can't see or hear the ledge that he was lowered off of. Um so finally after about like an hour of this Simon not really knowing what to do so he's just like waiting to figure out what he's because he can't just like lift a guy up off of a cliff. Simon starts to feel the bucket seat of snow that he's dug for himself shift underneath him. And then it's just gone. And the weight of Joe is pulling him slowly down the mountain and there's nothing he can do to stop it. So 21 year old Simon Yates does the only thing he can think to do. The only hope he can see for himself and he cuts the rope. Yeah. Um, this is what Simon says to Joe later. There was no other option left for me. The taut rope exploded at the touch of the blade, and I, felt, and I flew backwards into the seat as the pulling strain vanished. I was shaking. So Joe plummets 100 feet onto a glacier. Oh, God! And then slides an additional 80 feet into a crevasse. (laughs) And none of this is known to Simon. He doesn't know what happened to Joe. He's just gone. And he assumes that guy's dead. He just killed that man to save himself. Yeah. So Simon continues down the mountain, avoiding the ledge where Joe had fallen, making a better way through. And looking for his body, you know, seeing if he, you know, can find anything, but trying to make the quickest, best route to base camp because he assumes that Joe is dead. It took four days, but Simon made it back to base camp. He never found Joe's body. And that is because Joe wasn't dead. No. (laughs) Obviously, this is a survival story. Playing Elsa in a glacier. Right? <laughs> Don't let me go. What the fuck? <laughs> I just fell into a crevasse. <laughs> so, Joe Simpson survived falling off a cliff with a broken fucking leg. He landed in a crevasse 
on several feet of soft snow. That is why he is alive. I was going to say. Usually those are sharp and pointy. Yeah, you would think. And angry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he even says at one point, like, he looked around himself and saw, like, well, five feet over there, and I would have fallen into a hole. Mm-hmm. Five feet over there, and that's just ice. Mm-hmm. Like, so he fell in the perfect spot. He had this little soft landing. Because it was God's plan. Because it was God's plan, and I'm sure he prayed. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Joe's not like that. No. I love Joe. <laughs> he doesn't give a fuck. I don't think he believes in God. <laughs> I think he expects to die on any given expedition yeah. he does. It's great. Fair. Yeah. So... Even at this moment, like when Joe wakes up and is like, oh, cool, awesome, I'm fucking so <laughs> fucked right now. Yeah. Joe knew that Simon's only rational decision had been to cut the rope. He's, yeah. He felt what was happening. He was getting lowered down as like Simon was slipping. He gets it. But he does have like a quote from he, he gets up and he starts pulling the rope toward him and he gets to the end and he sees that it's cut. And he just goes, cut. I couldn't take my eyes from it. I turned off the torch and sobbed quietly in the dark, feeling overwhelmed. But the next morning, Joe is buoyed a bit by looking around himself and realizing that, you know, he landed in the perfect spot and would be dead if he had fallen even a few feet in one direction or the other. So he musters all his strength and he gets, he begins to climb out of the crevasse. Like he realizes that it's actually sort of this, cavern it's an ice cavern it's really strange but he finds sort of the best way out of it and he's crawling because obviously his leg is crushed yeah so he's just using his arms and he makes it he's still six miles away from base camp after he makes it out of the crevasse but he's out and the problem is no one knows where he is see he's six miles from base camp as i said so joe spends the next 60 hours on his back like pulling himself with his arms, pushing himself with his one good leg backwards down this mountain. Oh, God. He had to avoid other crevices, other holes, boulders, snow drifts, anything you can imagine that would be on a fucking mountain. Like you do that and it's hard enough when you're like, you have both your legs and you're doing it the right way around. Yeah. <laughs> he says, quote, the flares of agony never diminished. But I stopped screaming when I found out that it made no difference. <laughs> screaming does not help the pain. No. So, yeah, I it guess. It might make you feel better for a little bit. Right. But after a while, it's got to get more tiring than anything. Yeah. yeah. So at this point, Joe believed he would die. His injuries were severe. He was dehydrated. He hadn't had any food in days. At one point, at one source I found said that he lost 42 pounds in three days. Which I didn't know was possible, but I guess if you're exerting yourself that much, like you're using up every store of fat you have because there's nothing in your body to fuel you but that. And he's like pushing himself down a mountain. He didn't even believe when he got to base camp that Simon would still be there, which was like a thing he wanted. He wanted his friend to know that he was alive, but he didn't believe he would be there. He just kept going to the base camp because he didn't want to die alone. Oh no. Yeah, I know. Like he just thought if I can at least make it there, there'll be people and I'll die and it'll be fine. Four days later, in the dark, Joe arrived at base camp and started calling Simon's name. He's just there on his back in the dark, like being like base camp somewhere over there. And he's just like Simon. Just gonna yell. There's a ghost from the back. Right? Creepy. If I were Simon, I'd be like, what the fuck? fuck? Shitting bricks. But from Joe's own account, Simon came running out of the tent, wide-eyed and disbelieving. Like, what the fuck? Good morning. Yeah. Oh, my God. And this is kind of sweet. For three days, they remained at base camp with Simon caring for Joe. So, quote, this this is from Joe. And at every gesture, a touch on the arm, a look, we shared an intimacy we would never have dared show before and never would again. So they're married now. <laughs> Unfortunately, no. I mean, like, I do ship it a little. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I ship it. <laughs> I just think it's like this guy thought he'd killed his friend and now he has a chance to, like, help him. Yeah. And it's, it's redemption. Kind of, yeah, it's just kind of beautiful. So eventually, Joe and Simon take the three day donkey trip back to Lima where they operated on Joe's leg. 
they did their best, uh, but they're in Peru, and it's 1985. Oh, so it's maybe we were not... pretty close in our years. Yeah, we were. Oh shit. Oh, so not the best medical care. No. Um, Joe has since had five more surgeries and tons of physical therapy back home in his home of England. Um, it is likely that at some point in his life he will lose his leg. Uh, to arthritis or joint damage. A lot of damage. Yes. Um, but when this, these articles were written in 2003, he hadn't yet. So I don't actually know from this point. They said he had about 10 years on it, so he might have lost it by now. But he did not immediately lose it, which is crazy. That's great. Yeah. The shitty thing is, you said condemned before. Like uh-huh. Simon is condemned to be the one who is known for cutting the rope, and that is true. Yeah. When they got back, Simon was judged incredibly harshly by the mountaineering and climbing communities yeah. for cutting Joe's rope. It's a huge taboo. You don't give up on somebody. Yep. But this is a quote from Joe. He was putting his life on the line absolutely full bore for, for hours on end. And then... To get back and be vilified for cutting the rope is absolutely extraordinary. And this is by climbers, by his peers. One guy actually assaulted him. Uh, He put his life at risk to save mine and then got in a situation where he knew he was likely to die. The paradox is that by cutting the rope, he put me in the position where I could save myself. Like the, The huge thing is like Joe doesn't blame Simon at all. Which is good. I'm sure Simon blames himself. Yes. Um, there was another quote that I didn't put in here that was like, Joe was like, guilt isn't rational. What Simon did was rational, but Simon still feels like shit. Yeah. And he was like, man, if I had just gone two miles out of my way, I would have found you. And he was like, why would you have done that? I was supposed to be dead. In a blizzard. Yeah. Like, he's been, he spent a long time trying to make his friend not feel so bad. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah, of course. Like, and again, yeah, he was really supposed to be dead. Like, there's no way, like, that seems insane that he would survive. He had a literally shattered leg. Yeah. And he fell. Hanging off of a cliff. Yeah. And he didn't even know how far he fell. Like, Simon had no way of knowing how far he would no. fall. He was just gone. Yeah. So, like, totally fair yeah. that he didn't go looking for him. He was just trying to get home. So, in part to exonerate his friend, Joe wrote a book about his experience called uh, Touching the Void in 1988. He's a good writer. Like, there are excerpts and stuff. Like, he sounds like he's a good writer. Um, He's gone on to write several other nonfiction books about climbing. And in 2003, Touching the Void was turned into a documentary, which is something I super want to watch. It is all on YouTube right now. Yeah, I found it. I was like, shit! Uh, in the, like for the film, Joe gave like 35 hours of interviews to the director. Oh shit. They brought him back to the place where he fell. Oh God. Oh God. He's Joe's like a fucking character. Cause he was telling, um, one of the interviewers that I like read that like, oh yeah, the director spent the entire time trying to make me cry hours and hours trying to make me fucking cry with his questions and taking me up there and putting me in the same gear. I didn't fucking cry for that guy. (laughs) (laughs) It was amazing. Fuck Uh, you. (laughs) Yeah. He did say that when he watched it at like a film festival, he was like crying at the end and like a million faces turned to him when it was over because they all knew it was about him and he was like very uncomfortable. Um, Yeah. Very fair. Super fair. Um, So both... Joe and Simon have continued to climb throughout their lives. Joe regained full use of his leg. It's deteriorating slowly, but he regained it. Um, Simon lives in Australia now, while Joe still lives in England. They keep in touch. They're good friends. Good. It's cute. Joe himself has had other life-threatening incidents while climbing. He's fallen off of other cliffs. Oh, my God. He had a huge concussion once, like made him sort of suicidal for a year, he said. It was crazy. Yeah, because concussions are very serious. Yes. It'll FYI, mess with you. FYI, guys. Yeah. If you get They're, a concussion, don't write it off. It can literally change your brain chemistry. Mm-hmm. If it's really bad, like you're a, you could be a different person, yeah. at least for a, a period of time. For a little time. while. Yeah. yeah. And that's what he said happened to him. None of these things ever made him want to stop. That's not what climbers are like. He hopped right back in the saddle. Fucking nuts. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, I will say, like, Joe is definitely, like, a tough man's man. You don't cry in public. Mm -hmm. Like, you you take all your shit and you bottle it up. 
Um, Joe is super interesting as a person. I would recommend like maybe reading his book or looking at that documentary or just reading some of the articles about him that came out when the movie was coming out in 2003 because his quotes are all gold. He, he had one guy interview him in a pub because he, quote, likes a pint or, <laughs> or three, as the interviewer said. <laughs> so, I mean, and also he's just like chain smoking the entire time and he doesn't eat much. He's like a weird dude. He doesn't eat much at all, but he does drink and smoke a lot. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe something about what trauma can do to you. Uh, who cares? Okay, it's fine. This is his quote about how he feels about it now. Climbers are by their nature resilient and tough. We've lost friends and we deal with it. The best thing you can do with trauma is put it in a box, nail it shut, and never open it again. It's odd that people think making the film was cathartic. To my mind, you put your finger on the table and hit it with a hammer. You're not going to take the same finger and hit it with a hammer to see if it hurts. <laughs> so that's Joe Simpson, everybody. All right. <laughs> he has a different view than many of our survivors. Not, no. I mean, I get it on a certain level, but also like... You, you don't eat, but you drink and you smoke all day, every day. Like, maybe you do need to deal with a little bit of your shit. Just a bit. Especially as a climber. Like, right. whoa. Right. Like, yeah. And maybe, you know, at this point, because it was so many years later when this interview happened, he was doing less climbing, more drinking, smoking. <laughs> Who knows? But yeah, it's, uh, that's Joe. And that was uh, the story of, of, of Simon and Joe. They did a good job, I think, overall. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they're cuties, and I'm proud of them. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I know, we did a whole thing. We did. It was more more sea stuff. I love ocean rescues. Yeah. Ocean survival stories are the best. And always more mountain shit. I'm never, I'm never sick yeah, of a mountain survival know. story. Hey, uh, remember to keep telling us if there's like bad alcohol that you encounter that yeah. we should try. We would love to hear from you. Otherwise, you should remember to like our Facebook page. Uh, you know. Uh, otherwise, look for us on uh, Podbean. That's where we are now. Mm -hmm. we've, we've still got a Twitter and an we Instagram do. and a Facebook page. And yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. And also... Um, dip, dip, potato chip. Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> No, look, look, let me have, look, just, okay, so look, you can dip, dip your potato chips all you want, but I think you should be a little bit like Wyatt, and you should be a little bit like Joe, <laughs> and don't forget your can of water, Fuck god you. damn it. <laughs>